welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, students, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. I would like to elevate and give a platform to educators and people that have been in the education system to inject the humanity and heart back into education. If you'd like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Happy Monday. Thank you so much for choosing to spend some time with me today. I have had my first full week of school, which was really good. I was a little nervous, as I said last episode, about meeting all of my classes because last week I only met my year 12s. But this year I had my year 8s and I have them for science and English and it's been really good. I've had some really, really interesting conversations. I'm beginning... English with the Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, which is one of my all-time favorite books to teach. And we talked about privilege. We talked about class issues. We talked about 1960s culture. So I've already kind of had some really deep conversations with them, which has been fantastic. And science, I'm doing cells. So we talked about organelles. We talked about, I use often an analogy to discuss a cell as a protein making factory and what all the organelles do in order to create proteins ultimately. And a lot of kids don't realize that proteins are so many things. They're not just, you know, something that you eat, obviously, but proteins are in your skin. They're regulatory like enzymes. They're the hemoglobin that takes oxygen around your body. And so it was really interesting. And then we talked about when cells don't do what they're supposed to do and impacts on the body like cancer when they don't actually stop dividing and they continue to proliferate and what impacts that has. So it was really great. And I've actually had in most of my classes now, a couple of kids stay back to continue discussing the content, which is amazing. How exciting is that? The other thing that I forgot about, but I was soon reminded of is the fact that your time is often not your own. So I had my very first year eight class. I was really excited to start teaching. I opened my emails that morning and of course it's an assembly. So I didn't get to teach that lesson. And another lesson I had with my science kids, I began teaching and then I had someone come in to say that they changed the photo times. So I was going to take the kids to photos. That was fun. But, you know, if you're a teacher, you understand what that's like. You have to constantly be on your toes and be flexible. Now, my conversation today is with Rachel Keyes. She is an educator from Adelaide. Her very first year of teaching high school was in 2020. So talk about a baptism by fire to the profession. She actually had a pretty heavy allotment. And I think she speaks quite well on the juggle of learning how to teach learning a new school and also having a fair bit of pressure because she did have year 12 in her first year. She discusses her university experience and also what she's hoping to achieve in teaching as she becomes more experienced. And she's really focused on body image. And I I really encourage you to listen to the end of this episode because what she is doing is actually really, really important. And I think that she's making some really important headway with some of the negative body images out there and she talks about the Instagram body which is really interesting I never heard of it that way before and it's really interesting to reflect on the marketable body 
now versus when I was a teen because it's definitely changed. If you like the episode, please make sure to share it on social media. Tag me at Educating Laura. That's always fantastic. I enjoyed hearing your feedback and to see that you guys are sharing it. So if you do like it, please do that. Rate and review the show, subscribe, come along the journey with me for the rest of 2021. That'd be fantastic. And here is Rachel. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks, Laura. How are you? Good. Thank you. I thought I would start at the beginning as I do in most of my episodes and ask what you were like as a student. Oh, well, in school, I was definitely very focused on my studies. I definitely was striving to sort of be top of the class and all that sort of stuff. I worked very hard to get very good results, but I also um, was very social as well and loved uh, hanging out with my friends and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I definitely, when I have students who remind me of myself, I sort of look back and laugh at what I used to be like, so focused. (laughs) Yeah. And where do you think that, I don't want to say pressure, but that focus came from? Well, I have an older sister who is very similar. And so that was just sort of what I always knew. I knew that I had to work hard if I wanted to succeed. And I sort of learned that from her, I guess, and wanted to replicate that when I was at school as well. And so what did your final year look like at school in terms of study? Like how much time did you study? What kind of things did you do to get the results that you wanted to get? When I was in year 11, I studied three year 12 subjects so that in year 12, I could study another four in the hope of getting the best outcome possible. And that was a lot of work, but I think it definitely paid off. And anytime I have a student who is considering doing a year 12 subject in year 11, I always say go for it because it did pay off for me. And I think in most cases, it definitely does. And it can also relieve some of that pressure for you if you choose not to do as many subjects in year 12 in the end. So that was definitely a strategy that worked for me. But in year 12, I did a bit of a mix of subjects. I did English, biology, psychology, maths. And then when I was in year 11, I did fashion and tech, French and research project. Mm -hmm. So a whole bag of subjects. Okay. I'd love to know how the year 12 works in terms of subjects and selections in South Australia, because in Victoria, you have four subjects that will go towards your ATAR score. And then from there, you get 10% of the next two subjects in terms of the subjects that are less highly scored. So how does it work in South Australia? It's a little bit different in South Australia from most of the other states as far as I know. So English and maths is only compulsory up to year 11. Mm. And then in year 12, you don't have to do it, but it is recommended, especially English if people want to study interstate because that's a requirement for university. Yes. But then most students study four subjects and they can be any combination of subjects that they want. Some schools require five subjects, but majority of government schools, I believe it's only four. And then in terms of ATAR, the process of how it works confuses me still. And I've tried very hard (laughs) to work out how they work it out. But as far as I know, there are subjects that receive bonus points and then there are others that 
are scaled down or scaled up depending on the difficulty of them and if they have exams and that sort of thing. So not all subjects for you have exams? No. So some of them, like the more practical subjects, don't. So things like home ec or tech, they don't have exams, but majority of the, I guess, the subjects like nutrition, psychology, maths, all of those have exams. Mm-hmm. And so you did seven subjects in the end, three in year 11 and four in year 12. Yeah. And you have to do a minimum of four, is that correct, in order yeah. to achieve year 12. So what was the point or the benefit of so many subjects? Or do you do you believe there was a great benefit? I think one of the reasons I did it was not just for the academic outcome, but also because I enjoyed it. I knew that if I did a subject like fashion in tech in year 12, it would get scaled down. And so I still really wanted to do that though. And so doing it in year 11 was a way to do it. I also did year 11, uh, sorry, year 12 French in year 11. And that was pretty common at my school to do a year 12 language in year 11 instead, just because a lot of us were sort of accelerated in languages Mm. to sort of take that pressure off doing it actually in year 12. I guess for me, the benefit was that I got to do the subjects that I really wanted to do. And I, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to study at uni. And so I wanted to keep my options open with sciences and arts. That was for me why I decided to do that many. And I guess it did give me the best shot of getting the best overall ATAR as well, because if I really bombed out in one subject, which I ended up doing with maths, it sort of cancelled it out. I do love that. Straight away when I'm talking to you about this, I think about the ATAR score because I think that I'm so programmed to consider it that way. And I love that your answer was, well, it gave me an opportunity to do the subjects I wanted to do. And I do think that that is the issue sometimes with the way that the year 12 is structured, that it's so much about the ATAR score that we tend to lose the love of learning along the way. And I do love the fact that you said that it allowed me to do the things I, I kind of just enjoyed. Yeah, definitely. And it is really sad that I guess a lot of subjects are sort of disregarded because they aren't deemed as difficult as others. And so, yeah, a lot of students don't choose those if they are hoping for a university pathway or to get an ATAR because the payoff isn't as great as other subjects. But then there's subjects like art, which is so demanding and such a full-on subject, and that still gets scaled down. So, I've always been told by other teachers that year 12 is a game Mm. and that you've got to play it if you want to do well. So unfortunately that, yeah, is how it is. Yeah, I think you're right. And that just, but it creates this stigma around certain subjects that follow into certain careers and whether or not society deems them to be quality or not. And I think that there's a huge unlearn we almost need to do at the moment around that because it's just not true. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. It's very, very much stigmatised, a lot of subjects. Yeah. If you were to give yourself as a student advice now with everything that you now know, what would you like to say to yourself at school? Uh, I'd probably tell myself to relax a bit. Um, (laughs) I definitely grinded pretty hard during year 12. I did certainly enjoy myself as well but I would probably tell myself to, yeah, loosen up a little bit and 
you only get to do year 12 once in majority of cases. So try and soak it all in a little bit more because it really went past like a blur. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that's what I'd say to myself, just to relax a little bit and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And so do you think the idea that you didn't know what you wanted to do made it harder? That you felt like you had to have all of these options available to you? Well, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I just didn't know if I wanted to go down the sciences path mm-hmm. or the arts path. And so for me, that was really confusing. And I sort of, I didn't work that out until semester one of uni when I started a sciences degree and thought, what on earth am I doing? I cannot do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me about that experience then. What was the course that you entered into after school? So I was originally in a double degree of a Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Sciences. That's what I did. And I really wanted to do psychology and biology as my sciences. Yeah. But unfortunately, psychology isn't considered as a science that you could do as part of that double degree. And so I would have had to choose something like chemistry or physics, which Mm -hmm. I am shocking at. (laughs) So I ended up switching to a double degree of Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Teaching instead, because before I was going to do the double degree and then do a master's. But it ended up working out way better for me because meant uni was shorter and I really got to focus in on two subjects that I adored. When you started the science, so you, or you did not start the science at all, were you kind of choosing your subjects and thought, I actually can't choose what I want? I went to an O-week orientation for chemistry mm-hmm. and walked out halfway through because I thought, I literally, this is beyond me. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny you say that because I had the exact same experience except I continued. I did an art science degree, same thing because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to teach and I loved biology and I loved English and literature and I loved dance. So I was like, I don't know what I'd – let's just do them all. <laughs> we'll figure out what happened. Yeah. And I, because I loved genetics, they said to me, you have to do – and I'd avoided chemistry the whole way through school because I'm like, it's not my thing, I don't like it. Like, you have to do it. As a, it's a prerequisite to so much of your genetics and your physiology. And oh, I I just had to knuckle down and get it done, but I completely understand. I walked in there and I felt like a fish out of water the whole way through. And I think that that's where my, um, my obedience kicks in. I kind of was like, well, I've picked it. I feel like I need to see it through. You know, I think that it's important that people do know that you don't have to. If you pick a course, you don't like it, you can change. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I tell so many of my students as well who are freaking out about having to make these massive life decisions in year 12 when they're 17 or 18 years old or even earlier than that, some of them have to. And I always tell them, I mean, I've got a friend who's done, I think she's been enrolled in five different degrees or something and has changed so many times because she's still working out what she wants to do. And so I think sort of breaking down that wall of feeling like you've got to decide your whole life when you're 16 and 17 years old, it's very hard and it needs to happen more. Yeah. I don't. How do we do that, Rachel? How do we let them see that not going to university isn't failure, that choosing a course and changing is actually a really great way of doing it? You know, as long as you don't have a, you know, a really, really long university debt by the end of it, it's okay. I guess giving them positive role models as well to look up Mm. to because 
for so long it was sort of like the most thing the best thing you could ever achieve after school was going to university but it's just not the case anymore you can get amazing jobs that you're passionate about without going to uni you can do incredible things without a degree but then you can do incredible things with a degree as well I just think it's the changing landscape of sort of working life especially in Australia has changed so much over the past few decades even Mm. that unfortunately there are still people that carry the idea that university is the ultimate goal but Mm. it's just not the case anymore so I think giving students positive role models to look up to is really important in the later years of high school so that they can see how many options they've got when they leave. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So tell me, you went into art science, you did know you wanted to be a teacher. So when did you know that teaching was going to always be the end goal? Oh, it was really from when I was very little. Okay. My sister and I, we always used to play teachers and I always wanted to be the teacher writing on the whiteboard and I had an auntie who was a teacher and I just thought that what she did was amazing and I think there was only one time in primary school when I wavered on that and I wanted to be a police officer for some reason okay but (laughs) other than that I have always wanted to be a teacher and I guess I was very lucky that I knew yeah what I wanted to do as well because even now I still have friends who aren't totally sure what their future looks like, but I've always been pretty clear on where I want to end up and what I wanted to do with my career. Mm. Do you have a teacher that stands out to you or a teacher or teachers that you want to emulate or that encouraged you to go into the profession? My year 12 psych teacher, she was really cool and I always looked up to her. She was one of those teachers that everyone wanted to be in her class because she just made you feel so welcome and so comfortable and like you really mattered to her and like, I don't know, you just felt really special and the relationships that she built with students were really sort of strong and you could go to her about anything and I just I can distinctly remember there was one time in year 12 where these boys who always gave every single teacher grief mm-hmm. they would not say a peep in her class yeah. because they respected her so much and I always knew that when I was a teacher that's what I wanted to be like I didn't want to be that teacher who was yelling or yeah. that people were scared of or that people just disrespected or didn't listen to. I wanted to be like my year 12 psych teacher. Yeah. So it was more about the way she handled a room than necessarily information she was disseminating. Yeah, definitely. Definitely the way she acted in the classroom. She treated us like young adults rather than little kids. And I think that spoke volumes for the way that we interacted with her as well. Yeah. So going back to your university education, How do you feel you were trained as a teacher? I think definitely my final year was quite pivotal. That was when we sort of really got into having placements and being exposed to other teachers. Prior to that, it was very focused on whatever our major and minor was as part of our arts degree. And so that was a lot more theory-based, whereas in our fourth year, We went on prac and we were exposed to so many different situations. We had teachers from other schools come in and talk to us 
and that was very good for networking and getting to know new people and being exposed to different ways of doing things whereas I felt like the first few years of uni were very much just theory sides of it whereas fourth year was definitely putting it all into practice. And how much teaching rounds did you do like how many weeks in that four years? So in first year we did a week placement but that was only observation Mm -hmm. and in second year was a week observation in the country mm-hmm. then there was nothing in third year and then in fourth year it was a six-week block and a nine-week block so a lot of people got to fourth year never having taught in a classroom before which probably wasn't the best way to do yeah. it because I know quite a few people who got to though that six-week placement and were like what am I doing I don't want to do this yeah. like I'm not, this isn't for me. So third year, you're three years into the degree and you've only really done observations and in your third year there's no prac at all. Yeah. So it's different at other unis in South Australia, but there's only two universities where you can do high school teaching. And so there's three big unis in South Australia. Two of them you can do primary school at and then the one that I went to you can only do high school. Do you feel as though you were fully prepared walking into your first job after your university training? To put it blatantly, no. Um, I was very lucky in fourth year. I won an internship at uni, which meant that I was on placement for pretty much all of fourth year. Okay. And that was at the school I ended up working at. And so that prepared me really well because I was exposed to the school for so long I learnt all the background stuff. I learnt all the admin stuff, which is the stuff that no one tells you about. Yeah. So I feel like I was a lot better prepared than other people were because placement's really full on. It's really Mm -hmm. full on for anyone, regardless of if you've taught before or not. But I think it's still not as eye-opening as it could be, I guess, Mm -hmm. about what it's really like in your first year. Yeah, so you're protected. So what things do you think we should be learning at university? You've now finished your first year, first full year as a qualified teacher. What things should be taught at university do you feel that are not? I think a lot more behaviour management, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think I did maybe three weeks of behaviour management at uni and That was fine for me because at the school I taught at, I didn't really have many issues with behaviour management. But I definitely have friends who taught at different schools where that's majority of what they do. And so I think preparing young graduate teachers for that is really important because a lot of teachers leave the profession after, what is it, five years or something like that in the first five years. And so I think being able to deal with those kids who don't fit into the little box that the education system is, is Mm -hmm. really important because not all kids do. And I think we need to be prepared for that. And I think too, based on my friends that I know as educators and pretty much most people that I've had on this podcast, the minute that I ask an educator, what were you like as a student? They say very similar things to you. I was very studious. I understood the importance of education And the thing is you are not often met with yourself in a classroom. You're met with all the other kids that don't actually fit 
in education and the people that become educators are the ones that love education, appreciate it, and weren't necessarily those difficult kids in the classroom. So, yeah, you're right. We do need to know how to deal and how to get onto that level with students who don't really like to learn in that way. Definitely. And so what was the job search and, yeah, like the job situation for you leaving school? How did that work for you? So after university, I was very, very fortunate to get given a job at the school that I did placement at. That is how a lot of graduates get jobs in South Australia is through placement schools. And a lot of it Mm -hmm. is who you know. That's how I got a job for next year. It's because my friend works at the school that I'm going to. But at the end of my fourth year of uni, I can remember sitting with all the other prac students and we all wrote our applications for the exact same jobs and we wrote them all together because we had no idea what we were meant to be writing And so we all just did it together in the hope that one of us would be successful. And on some occasions, some of us got interviews and that was awesome. But it was a very sort of stressful time. And definitely at the end of 2020, when I was jobless for a couple of weeks where I had no idea where I was going to be working next year, it is really stressful. And unfortunately, yeah, a lot of it is who you know. And so it can be very hard to sort of get a foot in the door you know if you didn't like your placement school or it wasn't the right fit for you or if you are new to the city or anything like that can be very hard yeah I think especially as a graduate it's very challenging to look good on paper because you all have very similar experiences there's not a lot that you've done at university that's dissimilar to everybody else and it's hard to stand out when you're writing a resume definitely Yeah, unless you have universities that really support you in how to answer those criteria, because they're such big, broad questions. I mean, how do you know exactly what they're after? It's really hard. Yeah, definitely. So in South Australia, they, there's a few different ways you apply for jobs. Okay. But for the government sector, it's a one page personal statement where you respond to the teaching standards. So they're all very similar. You can't really say anything different on there, especially if you haven't had any experience. So I found applying for the public sector a lot more challenging than applying for the independent sector because they wanted a cover letter and your resume. And so it was a lot easier, I found at least, to communicate your sort of personality in that letter. Mm -hmm. What do you believe the role of a teacher to be? I think teachers sort of nowadays have a multifaceted role. It used to be that you were there to teach the children and then they would go home and you would go home and your job was done. But I think nowadays teachers take on so many different roles. You know, if a student doesn't bring lunch to school, you find them lunch to eat. If they have family troubles at home, then you listen to those family troubles and you act as a counsellor. I mean, I had kids this year ask me, oh, can you be the new counsellor at school? And I thought, I'm not qualified to do that at all. But yeah, yeah, yeah. the different roles, the different hats that teachers have, I think above all, though, the role of a teacher is obviously to teach students, but not necessarily about academics. I think it's more about how to get on in the world and how to be a good person in the world because our society is changing all the time 
And so if you can be a good, kind person, I think that that is above all else something good that they can take away from school at least, even if they don't know what, you know, what a verb is. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think sometimes we do fixate on these really dry concepts and often the bigger picture is what they'll take away at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. So you've just finished, we said before, your first year. What was it like? What was your first year of teaching like? Uh, It definitely wasn't what I expected. I think with everything that happened in the world this year with COVID, that really threw a spanner in the works. It was certainly a roller coaster. I think that's the way I would explain it. There were some crazy highs and definitely some lows as well. But I'm pretty proud of myself for getting through everything that happened. And I've had a few teachers come up to me and say, you know, if you can get through a pandemic and online learning in your first year, then nothing will ever phase you. It'll be fine. So definitely I was challenged for sure, but it was also very, very rewarding this year and I absolutely loved it. So what subjects did you get to take in 2020? So I had Year 9 English, Year 9 Geography, Year 9 History, Year 10 History, Year 11 History and year 12 research project. And so what was the curriculum that you enjoyed teaching the most? In South Australia, we have SACE, which is the um, senior certificate that students get for year 12. And I really enjoy teaching SACE. So that's what I taught for year 11 history and for year 12 research project. I really like the structure of SACE. It's very, I mean, I find at least as a graduate, easy to sort of pick it up and know what I'm doing and the same can be said for the Australian curriculum of course but each school sort of interprets that slightly differently I guess about which parts they Mm -hmm. take on and so with SACE I like that it's very similar across the board and if I had any friends who were also teaching the same subjects I could bounce ideas off of them or borrow resources and that sort of stuff so I really like the senior year, especially the history curriculum. I really like that. Was there any discussion or thought for you to go into primary or it was always secondary? Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I always thought I was going to be a primary school teacher. And then I started working at an after-school care and I thought, mm, nope, <laughs> this is not for me. Yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed doing after-school care work. I think primary school kids are absolutely great and they have so much to offer, but I think my skills are better set to high school kids for sure. Yeah. So you said before that it was a roller coaster. There were highs and there were lows. What were some of the highs? Definitely building relationships with the students. There are a few classes in the first week of school where I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to do this for a whole year with these mm-hmm. kids? I am struggling so much. And then at the end of the day they end up being – the most amazing classes with the most amazing kids and I've built relationships with those students that I think they'll remember forever hopefully um yeah and so that was definitely a high and then seeing students from my first ever class graduate and being able to go to formal with them at the end of the year was really really special I never ever thought that I would be experiencing that in my first year seeing kids graduate who I taught but It was really awesome to see them achieve that because year 12 this year was 
pretty horrible in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think for the students to be able to have that last celebration was really special and I really loved seeing them all. My final high would probably be getting year 12 results as well. Yeah. I had 46 year 12 students and I was very nervous, especially because in South Australia, there's some assignments that you mark at school and then there's others that are sent to the SACE board for external marking. Yep. And so I was feeling a li- just a little bit nervous about marking and that sort of thing because I'd never done it before and I never, I didn't know, you know, if I was on the money or not with my grades. Um, yeah. And so to get confirmed was very exciting for me and sort of a bit of a confidence boost for me because obviously I had a lot of help at school this year from other teachers and coordinators and that sort of thing but at the end of the day it's down to you and so I think yeah when those year 12 results came out and they were what I thought they were going to be I was very pleased. Yeah you also said that there were some lows so what were some of the lows or the challenges for you this year or 2020? I think trying not to let my emotions get the better of me during the pandemic. So in South Australia, we had our first lockdown like everyone else in Australia did. And then after the Melbourne lockdown, everything sort of went back to normal for a bit. And then we went into second lockdown again. Mm. And I think trying for those, even though it wasn't very long, it was less than a week that we were in lockdown. For those few days, even when we were at school, we got the news that we were going into lockdown. And so I guess trying to put my emotions aside as a person and just be Mm. there for my students as a teacher and be strong for them was really hard because it was really close to the end of the school year as well. So I think a lot of students sort of given up at that point when we back into lockdown. So that was definitely very challenging. I think as well, this year was challenging for everyone in so many different ways, Mm -hmm. but trying not to take on what my students were going through as well, I found very like very hard and that's something I'm still trying to work on because you can't take it all on, especially when you Mm -hmm. teach 150 students. That's right. And so I think trying to distance myself from being there for students but also not taking it on myself, I found a challenge for sure. I remember and I was teaching two year 12 classes for a long time and also some juniors before I went on maternity leave. And I remember being like physically really unwell, like exhausted, having headaches, going to bed really early. And I was chatting to a friend of mine. I'm like, I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. And she's like, what's going on? And I reeled off all of these things. And by the end of the list, I realized that none of them were actually mine. They were all things that were going on at school or students' issues, you know, all these other people's issues that I'd taken on as my own. And it was actually physically making me unwell because I was, I literally felt like I was carrying the weight of the world. And it is a very hard thing to do because as teachers, we are very empathetic. We're very compassionate. That's why we get into the profession. So it's a real, like I, I know going back in, I'm going to have to create some really big boundaries. So it's a hard one. Yeah, definitely. And it's definitely something I'm still working on. It's, challenging for me because I am so young and I think a lot of the students sort of see me as like a big sister rather than as their teacher yeah and so trying really early on to set that very clear expectation of who I am and what I'm for Mm. is very important and I think I did okay this year but I definitely think I can do better next year and it's something that I'll learn from as well yeah just really setting those clear boundaries very early on with the students. 
you do in a way have a superpower as being someone young because you have a direct connection. You understand what they're doing. You understand their mindset. And the older you get, the more disconnect that there becomes. But I think you then fill a different role. Like I would be more, I'd have more of a parental role I feel now as an older, t- well, you know, a more experienced educator. Yeah. But you do, as a young teacher, you have something that you'll, you kind of have to embrace because when it's gone, it's gone when you kind of age out of it and yeah, you do have to protect yourself, but embrace it because it's really lovely the way that they will connect with you naturally because you are around their age. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely did experience that this year of, you know, students who never really talked to anyone would tell me things Mm -hmm. or talk to me. And I did find that really special because I think it is really important for every student to have at least one sort of safe adult that they can go to at school. And so I did really appreciate being that adult for a lot of students. And I hope I could continue to do that because as you say, for a while, it will be like this. And then after a while, I'll take on a different role as a teacher. So yeah, I think it has its um, positives and maybe some downsides as well. Yeah, for sure. So what are you really passionate about as a teacher? And what do you wish to instill in your students as an educator? It's funny that you asked that because At the start of last year, I set myself the goal of finding what my passion was within the profession because obviously I'm passionate about history and English. That's why I chose to teach them. But I felt like there was something more I could be doing. There was something more that I could give. And I sort of worked that out towards the end of 2020 when I had a few female students come to me and talk about how they were struggling with body image issues Mm -hmm. and that day I drove home and I thought you know what I'm gonna give this a crack I feel like I can make a difference here whether it's with one student or a hundred students I'm gonna give it a go and so the next day I spoke to some of the well-being leaders at my school and more just asking them what was being done at our school about it because the more I spoke to students the more I realized how much of an issue it was, especially amongst the girls. And it sort of came about that the only real place that was talked about was in growth and development for a lesson mm-hmm. in year so nine or something like that. And so I ended up with the help of some of the wellbeing leaders designing sort of like a little workshop that I did with the year eight and nine girls just away from everyone else during sort of our wellbeing sessions. And I really think that that is where I can make a real difference. I felt after I did that that if I didn't end up doing more of that, then I wouldn't be doing my job because I've sort of got a platform to make a difference in, like I said, at least one girl's life. And so for me, that really is my passion is sort of getting through to girls when they're at such a vulnerable age and such a pivotal stage in their life and after those sessions, I was sort of questioning whether it was the right thing to do because they went really well. And I thought, could I do anything differently? Or was there something else I should have talked about? But then at the end of the year, I got my year nines um, all to write me letters so that I could remember each of them because they were the first class I ever had. And I think about five of the girls in their letters mentioned the workshop. Mm. And one of them said that afterwards she went home and she ate her first meal for that week because of wow. 
Yeah. And I felt when I read that, that, all right, well, in my next job, in my future career, wherever that takes me, I've got to try and do more of this because if it can make a difference, then I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't give it a go. And what sorts of things do you cover in this body image workshop that you've put together? So we started off by I get all the girls to get into pairs and to write down all the characteristics that they think the perfect body should have. So what it looked like, all those things. And I ran the workshop three times and they all wrote down pretty much the same characteristics, which um, shows that they're all being pushed the same image. Yeah. And then we sort of cover how the perfect body or the desirable body that we're told we should have has changed throughout the years, how it's changed so much even over the past 10 years. And then we go through strategies to deal with what they see on social media and how to overcome some of the feelings they might experience when they're using social media and really practical ways to sort of deal with everything that they see and consume on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's interesting, I think, too, body image in a way is a trend, as you say, like, you know, there's a certain particular image. I grew up in the 90s. It was a very, very thin, like, skeletal-type body. Now I think we're moving into something a bit more voluptuous, but at the same time equally as unachievable without, you know, some assistance potentially. And, Definitely. you know, then you've got the filters on the phones and all of that kind of thing too, and it's it's really hard. But the thing is you look at, for example, you look at the way that you would have decorated your room, you know, at a certain time in your life, And then 10, 12 years later, you go back and go, what was I thinking? And in a way, bodies and the way we see bodies trend like that. But the problem is the the damage we do to them while we're in that trend, that that needs to be disrupted completely. Mm. Yeah. It's very sort of ever-changing and no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be whatever it is at one point in time that society sort of tells you you're supposed to be. And that was that was really the main message that we sort of covered in these workshops. That was the message I wanted the girls to take away with them, that it's going to change, you know. There was one point in time where freckles were considered the most horrible thing you could possibly have in your body and now people are drawing them on. And if that doesn't show how backwards sort of expectations are, then I don't know what does. You know, if you think about it, back in the day, somebody that was overweight was considered more attractive because it meant that they had more food, Yeah, you know, definitely. and somebody who was thin yeah. and skeletal, it, it showed that they didn't have the resources so they weren't considered, like, from a, from a purely biological perspective, they're not as fit because they literally don't have the resources to share with their families. And so I often used to talk about survival of the fittest in biology and I'd say that even today, a lot of the times, women or females tend to be the choosers. So what are we looking for? And the, the girls are like, oh, what do you mean? We don't look for anything. I said, yeah, we do. We still look for things societally. We see that maybe a nicer car might mean that that person has more money and then therefore they can provide us more. You know, I'm not saying it's right, but oftentimes these are the things that we're being sold through the media is the more you have, the more money you have, the better life you have. It's not true. Just like bodies, having a particular body doesn't make you any happier. It's not true if you have flawless complexion or blonde hair or thicker eyebrows. It doesn't make you happier, but it's how we're sold and it's what we consume every day. 
Yeah, for sure. Mm. So when did you decide? So we met through the Kindness Challenge through Secondary with Miss Damon. So we met through the Kindness Challenge, which was so lovely, and I loved have loved being able to connect with you, especially watching you go through your first year of teaching and how amazing you've been on Instagram and, and all the resources you've put out there as well. How supportive has the Instagram community been for you as a teacher, a new teacher? I think that going into it, I really had no expectations of what it was going to be like to start yeah. um, Miss Key's classroom. And I sort of, yeah, was really not prepared at all for sort of the friendships that I would form on that platform and from people all around the world who I would connect with or who would use my resources or who I would message and they'd respond. And I just think that it's such an uplifting and inspiring community on Instagram. And I feel like no matter what I do, I feel very supported on it. And that if I had a problem, I definitely know teachers on Instagram that I could message and they'd give me advice about it because as a first year teacher, it was really hard and yeah. I definitely needed guidance. And so if there was ever a time where I needed it, I knew that I could go to teachers who I'd connected with on Instagram or go onto their pages for some inspiration. Or if I was ever stuck for ideas, then I could do that as well and go onto Teachers Pay Teachers and find some awesome resources. So I just, I do really love being part of the community on Instagram. I think it's amazing. And when did you get to become part of that community? Was it this year or or 2020? Yeah. So it was right at the start of 2020, I think. I'd been thinking about starting one for a while and I wasn't really sure even what I was going to post. I thought, oh, is anyone even going to care (laughs) about my teaching life? Yes. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot and if it's a massive fail, then I haven't really lost anything, so may as well give it a go. And, yeah, I've loved it and have not looked back since starting it. Last two questions for you. What are some of the biggest lessons that you have ever learned? doesn't have to be academic, just big lessons in life. Oh, that's a very tough question. Yeah. I think that so I was always brought up in a way that, My parents taught me that it's not about what you can get from other people. It's about what you can give to them and that you will then get what you deserve in return. And so I think for me, that was a really big life lesson that, you know, the more you give to people, the more you're going to get in return. And the kinder you are, you will be shown kindness back and that sort of thing. And I think that's something that I try and teach my students too and I know it's a very corny phrase but you know if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all that sort of thing yeah so I think yeah for me knowing that it's life is about what I can give to others not what I can get I think that for me was a really big lesson and I think also so I'm a bit of a control freak as a lot of teachers are (laughs) yeah not alone (laughs) one day my best friend she sent me a little quote And it said, if it's not going to matter in five years' time, don't spend five minutes worrying about it. And Mm. I still struggle with that, but definitely trying not to sweat the small stuff, especially this year where you just sort of had to go with the flow no matter what was happening. Yes. That was a really big life lesson for me, yeah, not worrying so much and just 
letting go of the outcome of different things for sure was a big one. I'm yeah. still working on that, definitely. Oh, so am I. So am I. <laughs> and what are your hopes for education in the future? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I definitely know that I want to experience different schools, which I'm going to this year, starting at a new school that I've never worked at before. So that will be really challenging, but also really exciting to sort of see how different schools do it and operate and that sort of thing. I also want to secure a permanent job, which is really hard to come by, but I'm determined to do it. And I know that I can. It's just getting the timing right and that sort of thing. You've sort of got to be in the, in the right place at the right time for permanent jobs. Absolutely. But yeah. I've got my fingers crossed that when it's meant to happen, it will. And then I guess eventually I want to see how far I can take this body image stuff and see if other schools are interested in implementing something similar in the future or something like that. I'm not really sure, but I think it is a really important avenue to explore. Mm. I'm not really sure if I want to get into leadership or anything like that. I mean, I just love being in the classroom with the students and teaching them. I know yeah. that there are other teachers who set out and that's what and leadership is their ultimate goal but it's not really on the cards for me right now Mm. but that may change one day in the future who knows but for right now yeah focused on sharpening my skills and that sort of thing because I've still got so much to learn so much that I want to learn as well so really focusing on that over the next few years is important for me congratulations on I don't want to say survive but it almost (laughs) is that first year it's such a whirlwind and I remember getting to the end of that first year and thinking okay I've done it once I kind of know how it all plays out but until that time that it's done you're kind of like oh what's term two going to be like what will reports do to shift the dynamic of the term it's really hard until you've seen a whole year play out and actually lived it so well done congratulations thank you yeah it definitely was a whirlwind definitely a roller coaster but Yeah, now that I've done it once, I feel like I can give it a red hot go this year again and, yeah, hopefully make some improvements and changes and get better with time. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving me all your time, Rachel. It's been so lovely to connect with you. It's been wonderful being on here. Thank you for having me, Laura. 